Welcome to the Tactical Tool Belt Climate Tech Podcast. On this show, we focus on how the real estate industry, the world's single largest emitter of greenhouse gases, can leverage climate tech to become part of the sustainability solution. I'm your host, Greg Smithies. I'm a partner on the climate tech team at Fifth Wall, the largest and most active venture investor in technology for the real estate industry. In this podcast, we'll be joined by people on the front lines, the people inventing, investing in, and deploying the climate tech we'll need to make our homes, offices, and communities more efficient, more sustainable, and ever closer to carbon zero. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tactical Tool Belt Climate Tech, uh, the fifth world podcast where we talk to people on the front lines of decarbonizing the built environment and the planet at large. And uh, today I've got the fantastic opportunity to chat with uh, Karthik Balakrishnan, who is the president and co-founder of Actual. Thanks for taking the time today, Karthik. Thank you, Greg, and uh, welcome to the opportunity to chat. Yeah. So I, I'm always fascinated by how people get to founding companies and uh, you're a co-founder here. So maybe before we hop into what Actual does, um, we'd love to hear a little bit more about your background and how you got here. For sure. So, um, you know, my background is, is, is quite a few different interesting things that all uh, kind of play together into, uh, into where we are today. So I uh, started out did a PhD in AeroAstro, basically aero, aerospace engineering. Uh, at Stanford building uh, spacecraft doing physics experiments in space. Right? So nothing related to climate change at all uh, and nothing related to infrastructure at all, but learned a lot about building uh, electronics and uh, took that knowledge to uh, COIN. So a co-founder of COIN, a consumer electronics startup um, and got acquired by Fitbit in 2016 and said, you know, I did a, a PhD in aerospace engineering. I should do something in aerospace engineering. So I went to Airbus's Silicon Valley office, A-Cubed, and I started what's now called Airbus UTM. And the goal of Airbus UTM is essentially to modernize the air traffic control system and allow for delivery drones and air taxis and autonomous cargo jets and all of these new kinds of vehicles to, to really exist in the airspace. And when I joined, I thought, hey, you know, this is going to be a technical challenge. I need a team of engineers. I need a large amount of money, some number of years, and, and we'll solve this problem. And I realized within a week, actually, that's only 20% of the challenge. You know, the, the air traffic control system is multiple trillions of dollars invested into a built environment over the last you know, 100 years or so. You've got government stakeholders, private stakeholders, you have public-private stakeholders. Any, every combination of public and private is a stakeholder in literally every country on earth. And so going and saying, we've got this new great technology, let's take what's existing that works safely, that, you know, that millions of people use on a daily basis, let's rip it out and replace it with something different, is, is a bit of a challenge. And I realized that this challenge applies to any kind of new technology and is especially prevalent when you're talking about climate change, when you're talking about urbanization and, and, and changing urban environments, and when you start talking about climate mitigation adaptations and, and what have you. So actual, in many ways, came out of a realization that I could either solve the problem just for the air traffic control system or try and figure out, you know, there's a lot of things that are that causes hesitation uh, to adopting new technologies to ripping out you know trillions of dollars of, of built environment and replacing things and focusing on one aspect of that and, and solving that yep okay that that's fascinating so you actually kind of came into the sideways um, but let's maybe just double click then on on that problem that actual is is trying to solve 
um, because this must have been a, a pretty interesting problem for you to give up a nice cushy corporate salary and you know go and eat ramen noodles for a little bit and uh, go to a startup, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, so there's a bunch of challenges at, at play here. I think one of the biggest ones is that, interestingly enough, the biggest challenge to dealing with climate change is not a lack of options. It's too many options in many ways. And maybe not too many options, but at first blush, you know, for example, if you own a warehouse or your warehouse company with, you know, warehouses around the, around the world, how do you decarbonize each of those warehouses? Do you put solar panels on the roof? Do you sign PPAs? Do you, um, maybe you're an area with a lot of existing solar power, so you sign imbalance contracts, right? So you have, you have many, many different kinds of options depending on what you're building, where you are, your existing environment, what you're trying to do. And it's really quite difficult at, you know, before you take that first step of actually going and building something to having the data and having the um, information necessary to decide what to do, right? It's a bit of a chicken and the egg, right? Where how much is it going to cost me? You don't really know how much something's going to cost until you do it um, because every business is different. Every operations are different. And so that's a big, a big part of the challenge, right? Is that as companies start to make these ESG commitments, these climate commitments, that they're going to be net zero in the next 20, 30 years, that there is a question of what does that first step look like? And what does the roadmap look like from where we are today? Which technologies are relevant? Which contractual options are relevant? What do we pick? And how do we empower our employees to actually go through and execute on those plans? Yeah, and I, I actually hear a lot about this from, uh, there's almost like there's two uh, contingencies here who are talking past each other. And this is the heart of the problem is, on one hand, you have uh, people who typically say, you know, uh, I'll just use buildings as the example, but but I think this applies to everything, including infrastructure and big big public-private projects and stuff. On one hand, you have people saying, hey, if you're running something that is more operationally efficient, has you know clean green technology in it, therefore it should be cheaper to operate, right? And then you have the other school of thought, which is, yeah, but all of those those technologies are really expensive, so we don't want to do them. Um and what to date I see this problem as being is it's very difficult to get to a single source of truth that both of those two contingencies can actually work on together and get on the same page about, yes, maybe it is slightly more expensive, but it's definitely going to pay off in the long run. Or uh, actually, sometimes we see it turns out it's not actually more expensive in, in uh, upfront, right? But I think we're, uh, uh, as an industry, we're very bad at being able to get all of the data in one place so these separate contingencies can really look at it together and make informed decisions correctly. Is that sort of a, a good summary here of the of the problem? Yeah, that, that that's a really good summary. And I think part of the challenge when you have these two camps is everything is, has to be contextualized on, you know, physically what is a company trying to do? Because what hap- you know, what works well in San Francisco is going to be different from what works well in Phoenix. And those two solutions are going to be quite different from what works well in Singapore or in Cape Town or, or anywhere else in the world. And so a big part of this challenge is if you are a large multinational with operations around the world, that ideal solution can actually vary from site to site. It can vary based on what, you know, what a specific site is doing, so within a region as well. And so in certain cases, you know, a climate positive solution might have a higher capex at the beginning. In other places, it might not because of subsidies, right? The opex might be different. And depending on the local regulations, you know, things like ISR, whether there's carbon taxes and what have you, the um, 
the operational costs beyond just the capex and opex, but additional fees and, and taxes and regulatory costs can can change quite a bit as well. And so, being able to do really detailed um, or having a really detailed and nuanced understanding of specifically how to apply these technologies into your uh, your your own environment is, is really key. And it's and it's really the, the primary challenge from my perspective. Yep. Yep. But now is this, uh, I think there's a, there's a saying in venture capital that, that anywhere that someone is running a business process on a spreadsheet, there's probably uh, you know, a billion dollar business to be had there. Um, how should we think about, or, or actually when you were thinking about the trade-offs here on, on going and starting a company, how do you think about the size of the opportunity that you're chasing on solving this problem? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, first off, the, the size of the opportunity is massive. I and mean, we're, we're literally talking about every piece of the built environment that has to get visited and revisited and looked at and updated. So it is trillions of dollars, you know, when you think about both the cost of actually changing this infrastructure, um, but the costs of not changing are, are dramatically larger, right? I mean, if you just think about wildfires in California, for example, right, there's a cost of undergrounding the utilities and there's, but if the utility doesn't do that, you know, there's business continuity. How do you ensure that your warehouse has power if there's a public safety power shutoffs? What happens if you're a health insurance company, right? And there's costs to your uh, your bottom line as more and more members get exposed. So there's multiple layers and minimum cases, you know, multiple trillions of dollars just to mitigate the impacts. And as soon as you start talking about adaptations, that's 10, $100 trillion easy, right? So massive, massive kind of thing. I think one of the challenges with the spreadsheet approach is as soon as you're talking about things in the physical world, it's very difficult to take a lot of the geospatial data and to make it understandable to all the stakeholders to do the computations. And so the way that we've approached it is from a much more uh, map-based, almost like SimCity, right? Where it's tactile, it's understandable, where you know whether you're a board member or an executive or a public stakeholder, you have to be able to understand uh, what the plan is, what the variables are, and, and how they affect the outcomes as well. Yep, absolutely. Okay, and you started you started getting into it, but yeah. So we we painted the picture. We need data. We need it in a in a usable format that you can get all of the stakeholders to be able to figure out the true costs and the true trade offs of different projects. We're probably going to pump. You know, our numbers here are that the built world is going, uh, meaning buildings and real estate. So this is excluding most of infrastructure. But the built world on its own is probably going to have to spend somewhere between five and uh, sorry two and five trillion dollars every single year in retrofitting the existing infrastructure, right? For climate climate changey type things, you layer on top of that all of the infrastructure, right? Streetlights, roads, bridges, you know, everything, and we are very rapidly to, uh, looking at the tens of trillions of dollars every year for the next fifty years, right? So clearly, a massive amount of spend where every single dollar of spend needs to have some level of economic analysis done on it. Um, this sounds like a mountain to climb. So what is it that actual actually does? Yeah. So we're, we're a uh, decision support and planning tool for uh, these kind of initiatives. So there's a couple of pieces, right? Is that when you're going and deciding to spend money on something, you need a plan that's clear. You need a plan that's actionable. You need to be able to rationalize the plan, right? Is this plan actually going to be you know, a net IRR positive for this company is just going to move us in the direction of meeting these goals. And they need to be able to flow down through the organization, right? So simply saying, we're going to be net zero in 20 years, it's sort of like saying we're going to be the most innovative company in the world in the next five years, you need to actually have a plan to execute, right? It's, it's, it's more difficult in many ways than doing a digital transformation, because 
there's a lot more cost associated with it. And there's a major overhaul to how you do business. But it's a very close analog, right? If, if you're a company that's undergoing or has undergone a digital transformation, in many ways, we're building the tool sets to help you undergo essentially a climate transformation and an impact transformation, which is more important in many ways and much more costly uh, to make that happen. Yep. Okay. So then maybe double click then in on the uh, on the SimCity analogy. I, I know it's unfortunate that this podcast is audio only and this is a very visual thing, but yeah, walk us through actually how it works and um, what, what the users see as they're using it. Yeah, absolutely. So one of our one of the challenges that we've identified is that for a lot of companies that are subject to um, whether it's environmental regulation, whether they set their own targets, what have you, they're still in the process of going through a digital transformation. And so the biggest piece that we've realized that's very critical is making it easy to make directionally accurate plans with existing data without requiring years and years and years of finding papers that have been faxed around that are sitting in people's emails. Um, to, to make that first step. So literally as easy as, Sim, as SimCity, starting to build out the specifics of your business, your infrastructure, your supply chains, putting in a few key variables that you might know off the top of your head, being the leader of the business, that you might be able to quickly make a few phone calls and emails and finding a few numbers and putting them in and starting to compute from a very thin but horizontal level, specifically, what are the impacts that your company's having now? And starting to basically sub in and plug in various different solutions and understanding what do those impacts look like from a climate perspective, from an operations perspective, and from a cost perspective. And then over time, as these projects get underway, as you start to spend money on upgrading facilities and things like that, instead of having to go and digitize old data, where you may not actually even have collected that data, um, we start to pull back data from projects that are now running. And so we can improve the fidelity of the models over time. And so if you have climate goals over the next you know, 10 to 20 years, the resolution of these models, the accuracy of these models goes from being directionally accurate today to converging to becoming operationally accurate within a few years. And once these projects are running, as you start to report the information back to the board, back to investors, and over time to regulators like the SEC is starting to think about elevating climate disclosure, having all that information in a single place as a system of record that basically runs in parallel to your financial planning and your financial system of record now becomes sort of that key place for uh, for all of your uh, ESG and climate planning. Yeah, the way the way I think about this, and, and I'll just use the example um, that's probably top of mind for, for a lot of our listeners is, uh, you know, I've got a, got a whole portfolio of buildings and I've, I want to figure out which one of them it might make sense for me to, for example, put solar on the roof, uh, where maybe I should buy some community solar from someone, where maybe I just don't want to do anything, that it just doesn't make sense. And then this is a, a tool where I can input all of my buildings, have them out there on the map, and then it will help me rapidly figure out which of those buildings do I even have the sun exposure required, right? Which are the ones where the cost of electricity means that it makes sense to even do the CapEx um, for this, what are the buildings where it doesn't? And so what previously might have been sort of a, I don't know, many month uh, process where I whittled down my thousand buildings to the 250 where I can actually go, want to go and put projects onto them. Um, and maybe I would have gone and hired a bunch of consultants to do that work. A platform like you, like yours is uh, like Actual is, is helping me do that incredibly rapidly, right? 
Absolutely. And, and just to give you a, a very concrete example of this, one of the projects we're working with is called Giga, which is looking to connect entire countries to the internet and using you know various public buildings, you know, schools, libraries, things like that as the nodes. And which technology do you use? Do you use satellite or fiber? Do you use microwave internet? How do you power it? Do they have electricity on site? Do you have to put solar? And you know, these are countries with 20, 30, 40,000 nodes. So doing the analysis one by one literally is something that in past projects takes years and years and years. But for us, we can go through and create a model for a country literally within a matter of hours because we've done some of the setup. But as new countries come on board, it becomes really quick to say, here's what the OPEX looks like. Here's what the CAPEX looks like. Here's how many people we can, we can connect. And here's the different technology options that you have, giving the people running the project the ability to quickly tune the parameters and come up with a solution that is accurate enough to take that first step, to start doing site surveys, to start hiring on-the-ground consultants to actually start doing test deployments and things like that. Yep. Yeah. So I think that's also the way I would think about this is how do I get a directionally accurate estimate that is good enough for me to take to a corporate board and get sign off on budget to then go and do the next click down where we actually start hiring, you know, humans to pound pavement on the ground to actually go and do stuff. But what I find is many projects where there's a CapEx versus OpEx decision to be made get stuck in this weird sort of no man's land because there's no easy way to get to a directionally accurate estimates that you can get past a board to get sign off to take that project to the next step. And you kind of help to get these projects out of that purgatory. That's absolutely correct. You know, there's this decision paralysis and analysis paralysis where um, it's just it's just too much. And how do you cross that chasm? And, you know, there's there's a whole constellation of really detailed design tools that once you have board approval and you decide, you know, we're going to do solar on these rooftops where the civil engineers, the electrical engineers can use them to figure out the exact angle that the solar should be at and the right manufacturer and all these kind of things. But without that board approval, without understanding the budget and, and, and the constraints for those sites, those very highly verticalized tools, no one's give, been given the mandate to actually go and execute and use those tools and sign the POs and, and actually start to build. Yep. But now, okay, the, the example you gave, I find very interesting because the example you gave is around internet and the examples I'm giving is around, you know, sort of climate change infrastructure type spend. But it's maybe the right way to think about uh, actual that it's not a, a climate change uh, decision process. It's, it's anywhere that you have physical, physical uh, things out in the real world. So there's some GIS sort of map level of analysis that needs to be done and you need to weigh CapEx versus OpEx, but any sort of projects like that sort of fit into the, the actual way of doing things? Yeah, so we look at, um, at, at ESG as sort of being all encompassing and, and really all together where you have the environmental, social and governance all tied in together. One of the really interesting things is, you know, cell phone towers, for example, use a lot of energy and in many parts of the world, um, they're disconnected from the grid. So they're running on diesel generators where the diesel is literally flown in to the cell towers by helicopters on a weekly basis, right? So there's actually a pretty massive climate impact to the telecommunications network. How do you power it? Um, we've done some work with, you know, with, with people building water pipelines and pumping water in many countries is 5-10% of the total electricity use, right? Water is very heavy and it has to go long distances from wherever the water happens to be based on, you know, when it rained and where it rained to where the people live, which is pretty fixed. So you know, I think it's inextricable, this link between the infrastructure and climate. And as climate change starts to affect more and more of the world in really materially important ways, um, those two links start to become inseparable, where 
I think that in the past, there's been this tendency to think, well, this is climate infrastructure and this is all the other infrastructure. And now climate considerations are now part of every single dollar of infrastructure spending, right? Is this a dollar where it's going to become obsolete because of climate issues well before the actual hardware becomes obsolete, right? That's a real consideration for many. Yep. Yeah. And maybe, maybe another way of saying it is I see a lot of sort of uh, just climate software in general that the ultimate end user is supposed to be like the chief sustainability officer and their small, small team. Whereas I think ultimately the people who are going to be using actual is going to be everyone across all, all of the different uh, parts of a business or, a, or an infrastructure project. It's not the cutesy little check the box compliance ESG thing that you do off on the side. It's sort of inherent in how the entire project is scoped and defined um, and really helping to bleed it through the DNA of the project end to end. Absolutely. Right. This, I mean, this is the place where the decision makers can see bird's eye view what's going on, push the decisions through the organization, capture the data back make sure that boards are happy, regulators are happy. Um, and, and really, it's about empowering the employees as well, right? I mean, the, the IAA has said in a recent report that we have all the technology we need to meet the climate goals of 2030. Of course, technology is going to get better and cheaper, and we need new tech for 2040 and beyond. But why isn't that stuff already deployed? And a big part of that is how do you give the tools to the decision makers to say, yeah, this is what works for our organization. We can actually afford to spend this money. There's a way for us to finance it. So now let's move forward. Yep, absolutely makes sense. Um, yeah, so I think this was a, this was a great high level, but uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. So um, where can people go to learn more about uh, Actual and uh, maybe see see some of this in action? Yeah, so you can take a look at our website, actualhq.com, A-C-T-U-A-L-H-Q.com. Um, and we have uh, some videos uh, about our product there. Um, and you can also click on our blog. We've done a lot of analysis about uh, various things in the built environment that uh, that might be of interest as well. Yep. And uh, who ultimately should reach out? Who typically are the people who uh, maybe start using Actual and, and get involved with you guys first? Yeah. So if you're a decision maker at an organization um, that has uh, ESG commits um, and you're basically trying to figure out how do you take that and make it actionable, um, if you're setting ESG plans, if you have complex infrastructure in your business, uh, you know, I think we can help. And, and so, yeah, please reach out. Fantastic. No, thanks so much for spending the time with me today, Karthik. Um, always excited to hear about these new technologies, and I'm sure we'll uh, get a whole bunch of people interested in learning more. So thanks so much for chatting. Thank you, and uh, thank you for the time. Thanks for listening to Fifth Wall's Tactical Tool Belt Climate Tech Podcast. For more on Fifth Wall and our efforts in climate tech, visit our website at fifthwall.com. <laughs>